I love the community aspect of pubs. I love seeing the same groups of people coming by. Like I love I love building the business. That's what I really like doing is seeing it from a shell where no one was coming here. And now I've got the locals on side. They're starting to come in. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. British food used to cop flack, but for anyone who has travelled to the old Dart, they'll know a lot has changed. Australia's commercial kitchens are rife with chefs who have travelled down under to work and make it their home, especially from the UK. Neil Thompson is the owner of A Little Kitchen and the Andal Hotel. Neil, how are you? Very well, thank you. You've got uh, two very different uh food service offerings so what's it like trying to juggle both of them yeah i mean it's it's uh it's pretty full-on um the cafe the little kitchen in kuji is quite well established now i mean we've been going for nearly nine years so i've got an excellent team so i've been able to to step away from there and just concentrate all my energy on the hotel so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Give us a picture of what it's like in the hotel at the moment. They're sort of impacted quite heavily with COVID, but the, everything seems to have opened up again. What's what's the energy and, and what's it like working in a big pub like the Annandale now? Yeah, it's, um, it's really good, actually. We're just starting to, um, yeah, I feel like we're just starting to find normality uh, over the past few weeks um you know people are people are really interested on in going out and eating again um i don't see that many issues in terms of covid anymore uh i think people are just sick to death of it so you know it's 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 sort of it's sort of uh it's sort of bygone i don't i don't really it's sort of yeah i don't really see much of it anymore i mean the hotel's busy like it's because it's been closed for 2 years you know it's going to take me a while to get it get it going again and we've totally changed the business model but i mean we're certainly you know the trajectory is now upwards you know so yeah well tell us about that business model what have you changed um in order for it to really thrive at this time yeah so so we took over we took the lease in february 2021 um the building was in a terrible state it was awful it'd been closed for nearly two years it was dilapidated the cellar was just horrendous the upstairs was just, you know there was just an inch of dust and dirt everywhere so the annandale was known as a live music venue and uh the suburb itself had sort of gentrified over the years and i think the old business model had not kept up with maybe the gentrification of the suburb so it just it just had it just had slowly over time died off and obviously you know the way sydney has gone with live music unfortunately it's become harder and harder to to run that type of business um with noise complaints developments there's a huge development that's been put on the back literally slap bang on the back of the pub and uh you know they were having huge issues um yeah with noise complaints and those sorts of things so you know a friend of mine had approached me about the pub he'd been approached to take over the lease and he's already got quite a lot of hotels and he was just too busy so he called me and said look come come over here and have a look and i was to be honest i was pretty skeptical because it, it you know it, it's it's sort of ingrained in the building as being a live music venue but you know after a few months of thinking about it you know it's a fantastic space 
I, uh, we agreed to do it. Me and my wife agreed to do it. And uh, we signed the lease. We took over in February and we spent oh, seven months with the builders in here trying to get it open. Yeah, yeah. So it was a shell. Like we had to start from scratch. I mean, me and a friend of mine spent seven, nearly eight weeks in the basement waterproofing grinding <laughs> so yeah i mean I, I i'm very fortunate in that i have a whole group of uh of um close friends that are sort of in the trades and a close uh, one of my best friends sort of helped me to to take it over and um he's done all the building he's done all the building side of things he's sort of project managed it and built it and he's a really skilled joiner so he's um you know he's got decades of experience in Sydney in the building game so I couldn't have done it without him to be honest because we had so many dramas we couldn't get timber we had at one point I had the tiler uh, he couldn't even go home because his suburb had been locked down so we had to like buy some clothes for him and put him in one of the rooms upstairs uh, so he could just stay here and work because he was halfway through the bathrooms he's like I can't go home if I go home I'm locked down and I can't I can't come back again. So it's uh, it's been interesting, that's for sure. A, a steep learning curve. <laughs> well, as you mentioned, it is renowned as a music venue in Sydney, but give us, give us a picture of what it's like now to go to the Ananda. Yeah, so it's we're trying to re-engage with the community. I think there was a deep divide. Um, there's sort of the older crowd that used to come in here and... Uh, you know, as a live music venue, they'd sort of grown up and had kids and moved away. And so there wasn't that many of them around anymore. And then there was a sort of another group of people that didn't want anything to do with this place because they felt like, you know, it just wasn't a good place to come to bring your kids or your wife or. So, you know, what we've tried to do here is reestablish a connection with the community. So, you know, we've got the, the schools involved, local sports teams. We're trying to, obviously, being a chef, like we're trying to, um, you know, do a really decent food offering. Um, you know, so, so it's, it's a food and drink venue now, you know. We've got a classic sort of inner west uh, Sydney kind of pub bar with sports um, and all that kind of jazz. And then as you move through the pub, we've got, um, you know, more of a sort of family and dining area and a nice outdoor courtyard. Uh, yeah, so we're sort of trying to make an offering for everyone. Take us to the, to the cafe, a very different offering to what you're doing at the Anandar, which you, you mentioned you've had for nine years now. Um, w- 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 tell us a bit about that and what you're doing there. Yeah, so, yeah, we wanted to, because I live in Coogee, I really wanted to do some sort of breakfast, bre- breakfast offering for the locals. There's just, there wasn't at that time, there's a few places that have popped up now, but at that time there was barely, I mean, it was a sort of, uh, they used to say a culinary wasteland. So uh, we thought we'd, we'd have a crack at it. We found a nice little spot. Um, it was, it was uh, you know, just, it's up, just up the road from the beach. We know a lot of people in the area. That obviously, I think Coogee has the highest... It has the highest percentage of Brits in Australia. So I thought, right, we'll try and play on that and I'll, I'll open a cafe and start, of, start making black pudding and baked beans and all these sorts of things. And, uh, yeah, we opened and, it, you know, it took a while. Again, it took me a good two years to get that place 
up and running. But I, I just wanted I just wanted to open a cafe where you know everything's directed by the kitchen. So you know we will make, we they, we make all our own sausages and baked beans and you know we use we use some really good suppliers and yeah. So that place has just turned into a monster. I mean, it's just. It just just pumps, you know. Like it's it's really really busy. We've got a great team in there. I've got great management. You know, last the last six months I haven't been there, but literally all I did for seven years was cook, cook bacon and eggs every day. I was there every day, every day, day in day out. You know, I, I, like box after box of poached eggs. <laughs> so so yeah, um, you know, I, I wanted to get into the pub game, but I. I had to stay. We had twins, so I went from one kid to three kids, and I just thought this is a really bad idea to start thinking about other businesses. I just need to hunker down here, help my wife, like be a dad, you know, because we we had like three screaming kids running around the house, and I just didn't want to be the guy that's just never there. So that as they've grown up a bit, you know, it's it, it's been a bit easier for me to to start new business ideas and start thinking about other things but yeah I, I had to delay I had to put my career on hold for about three or four years you know just to try and help be a dad because we don't have any family here they're, they're all overseas so it's just sort of me and my wife tell us about the offering that you created uh, at the little kitchen um, you, you mentioned that it was a, a take on British food did, did it did that alter with the market being in Australia and the ingredients that you had access to yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not big on, like, authenticity. Like, I just think that's nonsense. Like, you can't, you can't replicate, and I didn't want to try to do that anyway, but you can't make something like a British cafe because nothing's the same. So, um, yeah, in terms of our, uh, in terms of the food, I, uh, I didn't, yeah, want to go, cr- like, full British. Um, you can't, you can't go full British. It's just, it's not going to work. Um, so I sort of, I had to sort of splice um, food for the Brits um, and for the British appetite in for that Australian climate, you know. So yeah, the food at the little kitchen, we had to, we had to change up um, what we were going to do in terms of the, in terms of the food. I couldn't, I couldn't go full British. I had to lighten up. The menu. Um, we have to deal with um, a lot of the eastern suburbs types that are very health conscious. You have to balance that in with with what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, I think I think we've struck a really good balance between. And also over the years, the more time I've spent here as well, like my cooking has become a lot lighter in its approach. Um, so I think I think we've managed to get that sort of balance between you know um, I, I even had to I even actually had to change the black pudding. It was just we were doing we were doing almost a hundred percent pig's blood and oats, and it was just too much. Like they were just t- just a bit turned off by it. So I had to line it up and make it more into a sausage. So um, those sorts of things. But like you know you can't you can't go past avo on toast and those types of dishes. You know that's your that that's going to pay your bills, but um, yeah, I mean over the I mean the amount of people that come there for the for the for um, the British food, like you know, it's gone up and up and up and up. So you know we're known for that now. Well, take us back to the UK when you were young, and what sort of role did food play in your family? Yeah, so I think 
I think for us, for me and my sister, I've got an older sister growing up. I've, like my mum died when we were quite young. I was only nine and my sister would have been 12. So, so my dad, God bless him, he had to do his best and try and, um, try and cook for us, you know. And it was pretty bad. So when I hear these, when I hear these sort of stories about, you know, people with sort of Italian grandparents and sort of European, and they used to make all these beautiful sauces and pastas. And like, that is the opposite of my upbringing. Like it, my dad cannot cook at all. He's an engineer and, you know, he did his best. But I think my cooking came from necessity. I think, I think I was talking to him about this the other day, like, we the food was so bad i think me and my sister just made a conscious effort to learn how to cook that we like we can't carry on with this you know we're gonna get poisoned or we're gonna die or yeah so we just started like we just started to we just started cooking me and my sister and as we got older like my dad would be away quite a lot he was working overseas quite often so um yeah we just started learning how to cook and yeah and then when i was 14, 15, I got a job in a local pub and I just started washing up and I just loved it. I took, took to it like a duck to water, you know, and then from there I never looked back. Like, so, yeah, from the age of 15, I've been in kitchens in one form or another. So, yeah. Do you have any, do you have any stories of the kitchens that you worked at in the UK and what sort of impact they had on you? Yeah, so, so the first place I worked at was a gorgeous pub called the windmill which is a village in uh it's a place called Ewhurst. it's a village in surrey sort of halfway between london and brighton gorgeous on top of a hill um eric clapton's actually the next door neighbor he still lives there he 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 bought his house there in the uh, late 60s and he's he's never left so it, it's an absolutely stunning pub um and it was a real sort of country it was a real sort of country affair. We'd have farmers coming off, dropping off pheasants, and I'd have to sit out the back and pluck pheasants, peel potatoes. And in the summer, I would actually move up there. I would actually go, and it was about a 10-minute drive from my home, so I'd shuttle up there in the car, and I'd stay upstairs, and I'd just, for four or five weeks, I'd just, I'd help him, like, change barrels, wash up, make sandwiches, you know, and I, I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. So that was my introduction to, to um, cooking into restaurants and pubs. And then you, um, I started, I did a cookery course um, and I moved to London when I was 18. I moved to London, just turned 19, I think. And then I worked in, in London for about six years in different restaurants. Uh, for Terence Conran, I worked for Conran restaurants. That I worked for a, a really good, I, I was very lucky. I had an amazing head chef, Peter Whedon. And he was my first real sort of head chef. Um, that was in the probably 2003, 2004. And he was a real trailblazer because in those, even in those days, it was very, it still was very French leaning in, in the UK. Uh, and and he, was, he was very adamant that we weren't going to do anything French. So he, he'd, he'd taken over, the, um, Conrad had got the lease on this, building uh, right next to the Royal Stock Exchange, next to St Paul's Cathedral, right in the middle of London. And he, he wanted to open a traditional chop house. So, so I went and did the opening with him and it was amazing. It was some of the best years of like, learning of my life. You know, we were buying direct 
from the fishermen. Um, they would go out on the day, bo- day boats off the coast of like Cornwall and Devon. Um, the fishermen would call my boss up and be like, oh, we've caught this turbot. We've got these lemon soles. What do you want? And he'd just, he'd just be like, yeah, yeah, bring them up. And they'd be there like, he, he, they'd go out in the early morning catch and they'd be in London in the evening like you'd have flounders still flapping you know um, we, were, we were dealing directly with, uh, with the farmers um, you know like uh, buying traditional breeds of meat we would have farmers rocking up at like 11 o'clock at night with cows on the, in the van like and we'd have to start pulling like quarters of cow up the stairs and we had our own butcher um, you know, if the, if the watercress arrived and it was French, he'd send it back. So I don't want it. Like British only produce, you know, it was, it was remarkable. Uh, like the more I think back of it, like the more, the more I didn't realize at the time, but like he, what he was doing then is now become sort of a common, like he, he would get the, he would put a beast of the day on the menu. So he would, he would uh, say he'd have some middle white pork, for example. He would say, right, this is the beast of the day. This is the cut. This is how we're serving it. And he would put the kill tag in the, uh, at the front of the um, restaurant when you walked in. So you could see, like, the authenticity of what he was doing. Like, eh, 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 he'd take us on the week. Like, on a, we were shut on Sundays. So quite often we'd go to the farms and, like, meet the farmers. And, yeah, it was, it was extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. And then... And then from there, I went and worked for the Galvin brothers at uh, Bistro Deluxe, which is a one Michelin star French bistro. They come from like, they were both Marco Pierre Whitehead chefs over the years. Uh, so they come from that kind of background. So it was a, it, it was a massive change for me. Uh, it, was, it was very sort of um, precise, very French, very, uh, yeah, really full on, lots of hours. Um, but that again, they, those guys, those the gamblers—they're phenomenal. Those two, uh, and that was a real, uh, you know, another learning experience for me as well. And then I moved here, and I worked for, um, I worked at the Tilbury when I first moved here in Willamaloo, uh, and I met my sort of business mentor, Jared Dore. He he ran the pub group, and uh, he sponsored me within two weeks of landing. We just got on really well. Uh, I got my sponsorship with him. Uh, and he's a great, great guy. I mean, he's, he's been a friend to me for 12, 13 years since I've been here. And he's helped me so much in the pub game. I wouldn't be here without him. Like, he's, he's sort of guided me along the way. He's always there for advice. He's, he's got quite a few pubs of his own now. So he's, uh, he's doing really well. And he just gets, he understands the pub game. Um, and uh, why? Because my wife's visa run out in London. See, she's a Queenslander. And uh, so I was only supposed to be here for six months, you know. And uh, I think a lot of English people say that. And that's sort of 13 years later, I'm still here. But yeah, that's that's why I came. I had no, I had a good job. Like I was working for Soho House. I had a, I was doing all right. Like I I was just like, oh, I'll just see how this goes. Quit my job. My wife had already left because she was going traveling around Thailand. I quit my job came over here and I was like, oh, I'll just see how it goes. And I just sort of went from there, really. So, yeah. Tell us about your experience landing in Australia. What did you think of the, the restaurant scene compared to what you had known in the UK? Yeah, so I just, uh, 
I just, um, I, I actually started off in Brisbane. I flew into Brisbane. I remember it was minus five when I left Heathrow. It was like the 7th of January and it was bitterly, it was an extraordinary cold uh, uh, winter, even for England. And then I flew into Brisbane and I remember it was 35 or something like, and, and humidity, like I, 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 it nearly knocked me off my feet. I was like, this is insane. So my wife's from the Sunshine Coast. So we spent a bit of time there with her family. Then um, we actually went down to Brisbane and we're like, right, we'll try and get some work in Brisbane and see how that goes. And I honestly, to be honest with you, I lasted two days in Brisbane. I was like, I, I don't like this place. Like, and that was a while ago. Like, I just, it was such a change, like a shock for me. Like, it was so different. And I was like, it's too hot. Like, it's, like, I remember wearing um, thongs in a bar and they, like, kicked me out of the bar because you had to wear shoes. You couldn't wear open sand. Like, I was like, this place is bizarre. Anyway... I phoned the only person I knew uh, who I'd worked with, a chef in London, uh, who was back over here now in Sydney at the time. I called him and I said, oh, have you got a job for me? He said, yeah, yeah, jump on a plane. So I flew down to Sydney, started working at the Tilbury, and uh, I just loved it, you know? Like, I really, I thought the, I thought the food scene in Sydney at the time, like, this is like 2008, it was really, I felt like it was a lot more accessible I felt like in London, like, it's just like this sprawling metropolis. And, uh, you know, you had these, you had these glamorous, like, top-level chefs, the three-star chefs, the two-star chefs, and you couldn't get near them. Like, you, you know, they were just like these sort of um, icons. And here it felt like everyone knew everyone. Everyone was really friendly. The food scene was buzzing, you know. Uh, there was obviously a lot more Asian influence at the time. Like, it just... It just yeah, I don't know. It just felt it just felt a lot more accessible. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's how I felt. You spent a bit of time working with Colin Fasnidge as well. How did that come about? And do you have any stories of what it's like to work with Colin? Yeah, so I finished up at the Tilbury, and I just wanted a change. And uh, he was advertising at the Four in Hand, and I'd heard a few things about him, and uh, I just just phoned him he had his mobile number in the app and you know he said oh come down come do a trial it was like a friday night and uh i went down there and it was just you know i just got on with colin straight away like he 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 has this reputation and he was in those days before he had kids like he was you know he was fiery he was very fiery but but you know he he's i love working with him. I worked for him for years, you know. Me and him got on really well. Like, I never had that many problems with him. Um, he, he was a real... He, he's like someone I really admire, you know. Like, he's done so well for himself. He, he um, again, at that time, like, he was doing stuff. He was using a lot of, um, you know, secondary cuts, pig's ears and pig's tails and, you know, livers and, and awful things. That I, like, I think... I think we have a similar sort of food philosophy, you know? So I, I took to it really, I took to working with him really well. Um, yeah, we had some crazy nights down there. Like it, <laughs> it was pretty, yeah, it was full on. Like it was, it was full on. But he, um, you know, that he was winning, he was, he got, we got two hats. He won the best pub food. Like he won, he was winning every award that was available at the time, you know? And he, he did that on his own, like, 
he he crafted a reputation for himself like he got himself in trouble several times but like he's genuinely one of the funny if not the funniest person i've ever met like he's He's super down to earth. Um, yeah, he's a great guy. And do you know what? When everything was kicking off with COVID, he, he was one of the first people to call me down at the cafe and say, is everything all right? Like, you know, are you going all right? Is there anything we can do? Like, he, he's a good guy. Like, he genuinely cares, you know. And there's, you know, there's that kitchen that I worked in. There's the few of us, like, like Paul Farag. He, he, I worked with Paul. Paul was in the kitchen with, me, with us at the time. Like, he's gone on to the open, like he's just opened the new restaurant. Um, I forget the name of it now. He's got, they've got Noor in Surrey Hills and the new one he's opened in the city. Like he's killing it. Like he's doing so well. He's such a fantastic chef. And Carla, obviously, up in, uh, she's up in um, Coffs Harbour now. They've got places up there. Um, you know, there's a few of us that have gone off to do good things, I think. So it was a bit of a breeding ground, you know. Tell us about the time when you decided you were ready to open your own venue. Were there, were there challenges in, in getting that, sort of finding a site and getting it started? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it, it's one thing to be good at leading a kitchen and, and having an organised prep list and you know, getting the prep done and having a good service and writing kitchen rosters. It's an entirely different thing to run your own business and have to deal with bass statements and um, ASIC registrations and land tax and um, all these other things. So, you know, I, I was working with Colin. My first kid was born. Uh, he was very young. And I just thought, you know what, like, I think my time here is done. I, I really want to go and open my own place. And, you know, I've been spe speaking to Jared, my old boss from the Tilbury days, and he's always encouraged me, just do it, just do it, just do it, go and do it, go and do it. So I just sort of, I think you just got to jump in head first and just smack your head through all the mistakes and just keep pushing through it until you sort of find your feet. And, uh, you know that the process of the it's a it's a tricky process from being a head chef to running your own business and you know luckily my wife who's you know been with me every step of the way i mean she's got a really strong restaurant background as well like she's the two of us do everything together like she's opened the cafe with me you know she was at rockpool bar and grill and she was uh she was um like a supervisor there um she worked there for years she'd left there and you know she came to help me with the cafe so she sort of runs all the front of house uh for the businesses and she's phenomenal I i've never i've never seen such a hard worker in my life i mean she is just pure graft so yeah i mean she's helped me with a lot of it. and she's a lot more sensible than me like i go off on these mad tangents so i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that oh let's spend 10 grand on this and she's like we haven't got any money you need to do this you're not spending any more money you you know we need to do this 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 you know she's a lot more i don't know maybe it's a little bit of a strange relationship in that sense but she's a lot more grounded than i am like she keeps me um she keeps me in check that's for sure you've uh had a career that's um, been in a lot of different pubs in different circumstances. What, what do you love about running your own pub now and, and um, doing an offering of your own? Um, I love everything about it, to be honest with you. Like, it, you know, 
I love the community aspect of pubs. I love um, I love seeing the same groups of people coming by. Like I love I love building the business. That's what I really like doing is seeing it from a shell where no one was coming here, and now I've got the locals on side. They're starting to come in. You know, you see big groups of people coming, hanging out. You know, even at the cafe, like you know, I've seen kids grow up. I've seen. Um, people become friends because they've met at the shop. Like it sounds a bit cheesy, but it's you know it's it gives you some sort of some sort of sense of fulfilment. You're not just grinding out day after day in a kitchen. You know you, you you're actually seeing a, a business grow and like working with and employing really good staff and then you know coming along the journey with you. You know the learning the, the learning process. I love working for myself. Like I could I don't think I could ever go back to um, to having a boss. But um, yeah, there's so much I enjoy about it. What makes a great gastro pub? So I think the gastro pub thing. I think in Victoria and Melbourne, it's it's more of a more of a thing the gastro pub. But in but in Sydney, I, I try not to do the gastro pub thing. I think I think people feel alienated by it. And I think the the what I just the, the more I've got into pubs here, the more I've the more I've learned in terms of it, it's not it's not the same it's not the same vibe here here in Sydney. They want to come, they want to order at the bar. Like I, I'm amazed by the level of work that customers are actually happy to do in a pub. Like they they have no problem whatsoever grabbing their own cutlery, getting their own drinks like uh, ordering their own food you know that's that's the sort of that's the sort of vibe here and and also like it, in my pub we have you know groups of 20 come in and it might be five different families and they don't want table service they want to come in they want to be relaxed that one family might order the kids might want the food another family might order you know so you might have five orders for one table so the, so so the sort of the maybe maybe it's not the right word but the stuffiness of that of that uh, um, table service is not necessarily I feel like the pub culture in Sydney is is, is different it's 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 not the same you know uh, my my head chef Hayden that's working for me here at the pub he he's um, he'd come from uh, the Harwood Arms in London. Uh, he worked for me in the cafe. He'd gone and done his pilgrimage to London. He worked at the Harwood Arms in London, which is the only Michelin-starred pub in London. And he spent about 18 months working there. So you see, so, so there, I think a lot of Sydney types would go there and think, well, this isn't actually a pub. This is a restaurant inside a pub. So, so I think I think Sydney siders they want you know they want they want to come in they want to be able to get loud in the bar and watch the sport you know the football AFL um, they want to be able to order a burger I mean it's a lot more relaxed you know so I, I think I think you need to you need to cater to that you know you you need to you need to make sure that people aren't feeling alienated like whoa, whoa, whoa like this is this is this is too this is too upmarket this is too stuffy you know so. Yeah. Well, Neil, congratulations on uh, bringing the Annandale back to life. Um, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram 
at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.